Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Welcome back to the BAC Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Pastor Ryan. Welcome back, Pastor Ryan. It's good to be here. Well, this week, I know technically we read, I believe it's 1 Thessalonians 2 through 2 Thessalonians 1, but I think it'll be easier, Pastor Ryan, if we just kind of lump them all together, and let's just say we're going to talk about 1 and 2 Thessalonians all together, since they're obviously closely related. So we'll just kind of lump it all together. And we'll go from there. So just to give a little background, first of all, obviously these letters are are written by Paul, and it, it's clear from the letters that he's the main author. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is these letters actually list Silas and Timothy as kind of co-authors. Mm-hmm. So if, if you see Silvanus listed in, in verse 1, that's actually another name for Silas, just to avoid confusion there. <laughs> but we know Paul's the, the main author. And they, he visits Thessalonica on his second missionary mm-hmm. journey. So what I want to do is I want to kind of walk through his second missionary journey just to give us some background. I feel like sometimes when we read the Bible, we have a tendency to read it like it's this fable almost. Right. But we have to remember these are historical events happening to, to real people. Mm-hmm. So I want to set some context here. So he visits Thessalonica on his second missionary journey, but to, to back up a little bit, his missionary journey, his second missionary journey, that is, would have happened around 50 mm-hmm. A.D., roughly. And remember, by this point, Paul and Barnabas have split. Okay, Remember, they went together on the first, first missionary journey. We talked about that last time, how they went through Asia Minor and, and Galatia and planted these churches. But by this point, Paul and Barnabas have split. Right. They have this dispute about John Mark. Remember, Barnabas wants to take Mark with them, but Paul doesn't. Mm-hmm. So they end up splitting. Barnabas takes Mark, but Paul takes Silas. Right. So at this point, Paul is with Silas, and along the way, they pick up this young believer by the name of Timothy, mm-hmm. who becomes an important player later on. So Paul, Timothy, <laughs> and Silas. Timothy must have been pretty committed because he was circumcised, huh? That is true. That is a very <laughs> good point. He was extremely committed. <laughs> So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they go through Asia Minor, and while they are there, Paul has this vision, mm-hmm. right? It's what we call the Macedonian call. Right. So Paul has this vision of a man from Macedonia basically appearing to him and saying, hey, come over here and help us. Mm-hmm. Now, just to be clear, Macedonia, when I say that, remember we talked about there are different um, provinces within the Roman Empire, so Macedonia is just another province in the Roman Empire, just like there's Galatia and there's Judea, uh, Macedonia would be like modern-day Greece. Right. So he, he has this vision, and so they set sail for Macedonia. They cross the Aegean Sea, and they land in, in Macedonia. So this begins their ministry in what we know now as Europe. Right. The gospel has now gone to, to Europe. So they land in Macedonia. They first come to Philippi, mm-hmm. and this is where... Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. Yeah. And remember, they are miraculously set free. 
the jailer and his household are converted. They become believers. But then they move on to Thessalonica. Right. So now just to give a little Thessalonica, uh, a little background on Thessalonica. It was the capital of Macedonia. Again, this is like modern-day Greece. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a harbor on the Aegean Sea. So a very, very strategic location. Not only was it right on the water, but there were a lot of key travel routes yes. as well. There, there was a main east-west Roman road that went through Thessalonica. There were also some north and south trade routes. So very, very strategic location. It was the intersection of a lot of different routes. It's also a big city. Some estimate that there were as many as 200,000 people, generally about 100,000 to 200,000, most estimates. And that's say. pretty good size for an um, ancient city. For an ancient city, this is a very, very big city. So this was a, a very strategic location for ministry. If, if you think about this from Paul's perspective, it, this was a very important place to start planting gospel seeds. So, Pastor Ryan, do you want to share a little bit more background on, on Thessalonica for us? Yeah, because I think if we understand a little bit about the history of the city, it helps us understand why the Christians we know in Thessalonica were being pretty um, persecuted. Right. Because really they were worshiping another king, mm-hmm. King Jesus, over what they would think the emperor. Right. Um, if you look back in the history, uh, if you remember, Julius Caesar was murdered by Brutus and Cassius. And mm-hmm. so at that time, Octavian and Mark Antony, who were very loyal to Julius Caesar, fought against Brutus and Cassius just outside of Philippi. And uh, the city of Thessalonica actually backed Mark Antony and Octavian in the battle. Mm -hmm. And now we know Antony and Octavian, they won, and they granted Thessalonica high honors for backing them. Well, we again know that eventually Octavian, who would become Caesar Augustus, uh, Mm -hmm. the emperor that Jesus was born under, he would fight against Mark Antony and Cleopatra and for control of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. The city of Thessalonica was loyal to Octavian, so they chose the right guy once again. <laughs> and we know that Octavian beat uh, Antony in the Battle of Acnium. Mm-hmm. So what we see is that Thessalonica was highly esteemed by the Roman emperors. Mm. They loved the city. Mm-hmm. And Thessalonica was very loyal to Rome, so they were very, um, they were together. Right. And uh, we know the city built a temple to Caesar to honor Julius Caesar and Augustus, who we know was Octavian. Mm-hmm. So what we find is any time that there was a proclamation of another king, Thessalonica would be very upset by that because they were so loyal to the Caesars. Right. And um, you know, I think it would be important for you to even talk a little bit about the imperial worship or the imperial cult, we call it. Right. right. So just to, just to be clear, the Thessalonians were very loyal to the Caesars. Mm-hmm. And the Caesars also treated them pretty well. Yes. Is also, they kind of blessed the Thessalonians big time. They with, gave them a lot of freedom. Yes. And they also gave them some material wealth as well. Absolutely. So as you were saying, there within Thessalonica, there was sort of this imperial cult that was very, very strong in Thessalonica. So when I say imperial cult, what I mean is the Roman emperor throughout the empire was really viewed and worshipped like a god mm-hmm. in a sense. So they demanded not just loyalty, but ultimately worship. Yes. And so for followers of Jesus, obviously you're not going to bow down and worship the emperor. Mm-hmm. But that means you're, you're defecting against the emperor. Yeah, you're actually not loyal to Rome. Exactly. So this creates a problem, and this is where a lot of the persecution starts to come in, because you're giving your loyalty and allegiance to Jesus, this other ruler, instead of 
the emperor. And they don't want to lose their status as a city that is, that is honored by, you know, the Caesars. Exactly, yeah. And just to give a little more religious background on the city, Thessalonica would have been home to sort of the, the pantheon of Greco-Roman gods. This was a polytheistic mm-hmm. culture. And the gods that you worshipped within this culture had strong social and even family ties. So Paul mentions in the letter, it's in 1 Thessalonians 1, how the Thessalonians turned from idols to worship Jesus. But what we have to remember is that turning from idols would have meant severing some important family ties Mm -hmm. and social ties. So this would have been an extremely difficult thing to do. This was very costly for them. It was. And it probably caused their families to turn against them. Mm -hmm. So this was very costly for them to follow Jesus. We have to keep that in mind. So they were considered, in a sense, guilty of treason. Yes. Yep. So you're you're guilty of treason against the empire. You're turning against your family, mm-hmm. in a sense. So they're facing persecution from multiple angles, right. really. Now, getting back to Paul's missionary journey, the second missionary journey, remember they come to Thessalonica, and Paul, Silas, and Timothy spend three Sabbaths teaching in the synagogue mm-hmm. in in Thessalonica. Now, that doesn't mean that they spent only three weeks in Thessalonica, but it seems that they weren't there very long right. because then shortly after this, there are some Jewish opponents of Christianity. <laughs> they always seem to show up. They always come into town, and they start stirring up the crowds, as they always do, and they drag some of the believers. Jason mm-hmm. is one of them. You can read about this in Acts 17, by right. the way. They, they drag some of the believers before the, the city authorities and basically accuse them of defying Caesar. Mm-hmm. As we just talked about, the imperial cult, they weren't showing allegiance to Caesar. They were putting Jesus first. Mm-hmm. So to protect Paul, they the believers send Paul and Silas away. They send him out of town. And so Paul's ministry is really cut short right. here in, in Thessalonica. So Paul and Silas, they go to Berea next, and the Jewish opponents to Christianity, they follow them. Mm-hmm. They're always following them everywhere <laughs> they go. They follow them. They continue to stir up the crowds. They continue causing issues. And so then Paul moves on to Athens mm-hmm. next, and Athens is a place just full of idolatry, Yes, a very, very dark place. And if I remember right, he was alone in Athens. He was alone in Athens at this point. And that's important because he doesn't have his comrades with him. Yes. He's isolated and he's in a very dark place. He is. And it it seems like Paul is starting to struggle at this point. Then from Athens, we know that Paul goes to Corinth. We see this in Acts chapter 18. And Paul's in Corinth for quite a long time. It's about 18 months, about a year and a half. It's one of his longer stints. Yes, along with Ephesus. But Go ahead. Well, one thing I was going to share, though, and I know you touched upon it, in Corinth, when we read um, some of his writings at this time, it almost some scholars believe that Paul's a little depressed. Yes. He's been alone. Mm-hmm. He's been on the run. He's not sure how the churches that he started is actually doing. Mm-hmm. And I think he's starting to wonder, is his ministry a waste? Yeah. I mean, it's not like he can call or you know have a telephone <laughs> and see how the people in Thessalonica or Philippi are doing. So when you read, especially in First and Second Corinthians, you can see he's rattled. He's starting to struggle. Yeah, and you think about it, it seems like almost every place he's planted churches so far, there are people discrediting his ministry, yes. discrediting his apostleship. He's even. starting to wear down. Yeah, it wears on you. It does. And And then what happened with the Galatians, how they so quickly turned away from the true gospel, at some point you start to wonder, 
is my ministry even making a difference? Mm-hmm. And this is where I know you're going to share about it. He wants to know from Timothy, right? how are the Thessalonians doing? Exactly. So Paul's in Corinth, and at this point, like you said, he's really starting to worry about the Thessalonians. Well, Timothy comes back with a report mm-hmm. from Thessalonica. So Timothy gives this generally positive report. Yes. It's, it's a good report. So Paul writes a letter to encourage them. Remember, they're mm-hmm. newer believers at this point. He wants to encourage them, and he wants to answer some of their questions that they had sent with, with Timothy. And I, I tend to think, too, he was encouraged by the report. So not yes. was he encouraging them. He was encouraged. But as a leader, he's encouraged. You know, I think it makes you realize, too, when you're in ministry, sometimes you begin to wear down. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you begin to question if you're making a difference. And so mm-hmm. this is where if there's someone who's had an impact you know, on, these, on the listener's life, I encourage them to send a note, um, say thank you to people who've invested in their lives, because you just never know where they're at in ministry. Yeah. Sometimes just a little encouragement can go a long way. It did here with Paul, because you see him revived again yeah. after uh, he hears from Timothy. Yeah. This encouragement couldn't have come at a more important time mm-hmm. for Paul, because it does seem like he was really, really down at yes. this point in his life. Now, Pastor Ryan, did you want to talk about one of the key themes here is the end times. We see this throughout both letters. Yes. Did you want to talk a little bit about the end times here in these letters? Just real quick, um, you know, sometimes when we think of the book of Revelation, obviously that deals with end times. But First and Second Thessalonians, um, a lot of it deals with end time material. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people will ask, you know, where is the rapture at? Well, one of the main passages of the rapture is in First Thessalonians 4. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I know you were going to share a little bit about just even concerning the rapture that what it is about is hope. Right. So the the key thing to remember here, we have to take Paul's words in context. Mm -hmm. So there were some people, it seems, within the Thessalonian church who had recently died, Mm -hmm. and they had possibly died as martyrs. Yes. Because there's some intense persecution going on here. So it seems that as new believers, the people within the church are – Obviously, one, they're, they're mourning, but they're also a little bit confused about the fate of these recently passed believers. They're thinking, are they going to miss out on the second coming of, of Christ? So Paul writes to comfort the believers. Yeah, and remember, they can't read the New Testament exactly because yeah. it's not been written yet. It might seem obvious to us, but they can't just look this up right? like we can. <laughs> so Paul writes that he wants them to not grieve like the rest of humanity who have no hope. He wants them to grieve like believers. And he, he says what he's ultimately getting at here is all believers in Christ are going to spend eternity with the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's the most important part. So he's not trying to necessarily give us every last detail about the timeline and, and how everything's going to play out. And he even says in chapter 5 about the times and the seasons, you don't need anything to be written to you because you know the Lord's going to come like a thief mm-hmm. in the night. So he's basically saying, don't worry about the exact time, just be faithful and be ready. Always be prepared. Live faithful lives. I know, Luke, you and I have been in part of a lot of funerals, and you can certainly tell the difference between a funeral where someone's a Christian yes. and they have their, the family has hope yep. versus a funeral where there is no hope. Exactly. So what he's saying is find hope in the fact that we will spend all of eternity right. with Christ. And he actually mentions Christ's return in every chapter, at least in the first letter. I'm not sure in the second letter, but I know in every chapter in the first letter, he mentions the second coming. It really is our great hope, isn't it? Yeah. So one thing that I like to say is what you hope for shapes what you live for. 
So that's one thing to keep in mind. I think it was C.S. Lewis. I don't remember the exact quote, but he said something along the lines of, the Christians who do the most in this life are the ones who think the most of the next life. So if we live with eternity in mind, it changes how we live right now. Exactly. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying you may be facing persecution, some intense persecution, but in the end, everything's going to be made right, mm-hmm. and we're all going to spend eternity with the Lord. So that that's really the context of, of his words here. He's writing this as encouragement, not necessarily to give us every detail or to answer every question that we have. Now, real quick, as we, as we wrap up, and, and feel free to interject here, Pastor Ryan, but just to give kind of a, a general structure of these letters, 1 Thessalonians, really the, the first three chapters as you're reading through this, what you're going to see is the first three chapters, Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians, and he's also celebrating their faith, mm-hmm. celebrating their faithfulness. And then chapters four and five, he's really challenging them to continue to grow and to put their hope in Jesus and, and in his second coming. In those two different sections, you'll see they're linked by a prayer for endurance that Paul writes at the end of chapter three. So you've got these two main sections with a prayer in the middle. And then Second Thessalonians, really Second Thessalonians has three main points. He's writing to address some issues that seemingly have gotten a little bit worse mm-hmm. since since the first letter. <laughs> so there, there's a few different things going on. One thing, it seems like persecution has gotten worse. So he's writing to encourage them. Once again, he reminds them, look, this isn't going to last forever. Again, we're going to spend eternity with the Lord. He's also writing to address some confusion about the end times mm-hmm. because it seems like some people were teaching at this time that the end times had already come. Yeah. And so there's a lot of confusion, like, whoa, did we miss something here? (laughs) That's kind of important to know. (laughs) If I missed out on something, that's not good. But he says, there's no need to fear. We should find hope in Jesus coming. And he gives some more more details there. And then the third thing that he does is he confronts some idle people who have uh, been refusing to work or support themselves, basically. Uh, And something interesting that I, I read here, most people that I have heard have always said that this was in part due to the thinking that the end had already come. And and there may be some truth to that, um, but based on the research that I've done, it's more likely that this was part of what was called Roman patronage. So under this system, basically upper class people in the Roman Empire, so wealthy people, would have these clients under them. And these clients would basically do whatever the patrons wanted, whether it was uh, personal favors or political favors, these clients were to show utmost loyalty to these patrons. Mm. And then in return, these wealthy patrons would give money and food to their clients to keep them around. So it seems like some of the Thessalonians, rather than working and supporting themselves, were kind of, in a sense, mooching off of some of these wealthy people Mm. in the area. So Paul is telling them that you need to work hard so your lives can be a benefit mm. to other people. And he uses himself as an example. He says, I worked day and night when I was with you so that I was not a burden to you. Yeah. So an interesting point there. Anything else you want to point out in these couple of letters here, Pastor Ryan? I know it's just a little thing, but, you know, Paul talks about that he's signed this thing, the, uh, letter with his own yes. hand. Yep. And you wonder, why would he put that? 
because he's trying to say this isn't a forgery right. because there have been so many lies that were being spread about Paul that he was an apostle or these letters were forgeries or so forth yep. that here he's even saying I'm signing it myself. Yeah. And Paul would often use a scribe mm-hmm. as he was writing his letters so he would he would dictate his letters and then the scribe would write it down for him. But sometimes at the end of his letters, he would actually write in his own hand to basically authenticate his letters, and that's what you're saying here. Yes. Well, so big picture then, as as we kind of wrap up here, if we had to summarize these couple of letters, I would say the first thing Paul's doing is he's encouraging the Thessalonians, Mm -hmm. these new believers. He wants to encourage them. He challenges them to continue to grow in holiness and love. And then he also says in the midst of this persecution that you're facing, Mm -hmm. set your hope on Jesus and on his second coming, because one day all things will be made right. Right. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to continue listening. Next week, we'll get into 1 Corinthians. And remember why we are doing this. We want to help you get into the word until it gets into you. And we want to equip you so you can go out and you can be a world changer. 